Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review Extras. Yeah. Extras. Yeah, today we're going to briefly talk about the Star Trek Into Darkness trailer. Which is hot off the presses. Actually, it came out a few days ago. Yeah, uh, this, this same week. We're actually being relevant for a change. Uh, yeah, <laughs> relevant to the times. We're putting this short little commentary on the most excellent trailer at the front of the normal episode. So we can get it out there, post it to iTunes uh, to tweet. So if you don't want any type of spoilers uh, or listen to our speculations or anything like that, then just uh, fast forward till you hear the normal intro music and then you can listen to the regular episode uh, without any of this. Exactly. But I don't know why you would not want to listen to this gold we're yeah, about so, to lay out there. Yeah, we definitely have no inside information and we've just seen the trailer, so we're just 100% speculating off of what we're seeing off the trailer. Exactly. Now, naturally, we've seen the trailer about 12 times, played it over and over again uh, on YouTube or other avenues like Apple trailers, uh, but we have had uh, four days, five days to think about it. Yeah, I think you might have watched it a few times more than I have, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've been but, watching it on my iPad. I've been watching it on uh, on my computer. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's just jump into it. So uh, the... Blurb at the very beginning where we get, uh, I guess that's Cumberbach, uh, or Cumberbatch's Bane impression where he's talking about uh, safety's an illusion or whatever. Exactly. So uh, what he's saying is a little bit more Bane-like, and his voice is a little lower, but he doesn't yeah. have a, he doesn't have a respirator on. <laughs> but anyway, so it sounds like he's going to have lots of good monologues in the movie, which yeah. if they're like what Bane's monologues where uh, I'm probably going to like them. Right, and Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm sure everybody is aware or familiar with him at least from the BBC uh, Sherlock series, and if you're not, you should definitely watch that. Excellent series. But he's a really good actor, and, and it looks like he's doing an excellent job as the heavy in the 12th Star Trek film. Yeah, so he has lots of monologues about uh, you know, terror and safety and family and things like that. So I guess we should just talk about who who do you think he is? <laughs> okay, so so that is the number one buzz on the internet <laughs> right now, at least with people that care about this stuff. Right. Uh, yes, exactly. Now, originally when I first saw this, and so what, I watched it one, one pass through and I thought he was Gary Mitchell. So that was my first impression of uh, what was going on here. Cumberbatch has, you know, bright, shocking blue eyes, and he seemed to be doing, at first glance, what was a superhuman things a little bit, and, uh, you know, all this destruction was going on, and I had heard that he was referred to as a one-man, uh, what, one-man demolition man or whatever, before the trailer came out, so right. I was thinking, one-man demolition, you know, destroyer of worlds, that sounds like Gary, but, so... That's what I went into, and that's what I thought at first. Your turn. But, um, well, I, I'm I'm with you. I I, uh, I maybe have taken another step further as far as you know uh, connecting the dots. I really wanted him to be some sort of terrorist or something because of Peter Weller being in the show, and there was talk at one time that Peter Weller was going to play. Um, Colonel Green, who was supposed to be this big Earth dictator, so I've been hoping that they would try to use 
something of that. So I was watching it with the mindset of I want him to be that. So my views are a little jaded as far as <laughs> what I actually saw and what I wanted it to be. That might be, but the idea of him being a terrorist of some kind uh, introduced into the uh, idyllic setting of the Earth future of Star Trek, where everybody supposedly gets along pretty much and, you know, there's no more wars and stuff. Right. Uh, there's definitely terrorist kind of things going on. Buildings are blowing up, and, and it very much seems like a, like a terrorist story. Right, so and especially when you saw that... Probably that... more right that poster the, the you know the the poster the first poster that has the building that's all tore out and except it looks like starfleet swoosh badge with, uh, swoosh yeah, yeah I, with, which with looks cool cumberbatch in the middle of it yep yeah so again i'm perhaps reading too much into it i mean if i had my way <clears throat> he would end up being uh like the son of Colonel Green. Peter, Peter Well, or either Colonel Green himself or Peter Weller's character that he ultimately did play in Enterprise, which was uh, a, a follower of Colonel Green. His ah. name was Praxton. So okay. I, I think it would be really cool if they did. You know, they actually had a tie-in to an episode of of Enterprise, which right. will never happen. But I want it to happen. <laughs> that's that's what the fan oh, is screaming for. It's possible. Uh, the, the the trailer does not show Peter Weller at all. At least nope. I didn't see him. No, he's not. Um, so you know, who knows? That's that's a very possible explanation. If the comics that have been coming out, the uh, the ongoing comics, are any indication, they're very cool with uh, reaching back into a little bit of the Star Trek history for inspiration for the new films. So, right. And if you think about it, I I think that's one of the reasons why First Contact worked so well. It mm-hmm. had a somewhat loose tie into an episode of the original series that most people who enjoyed First Contact had never seen and never knew that, you know, Cochran was in an episode of the original series. Right. But that didn't stop them from enjoying the movie. Sure. So I thought it would be cool. It gives the fan service to have a tie-in with Enterprise, but it also doesn't alienate anybody. No. Because I, I'm sure that they, one of the reasons they have well around, if your theory is correct, is to give the backstory. Right. Which... so. I, I, I'm. I would be incredibly surprised if that ended up being the case. Right. I'm pretty sure Peter Weller is just going to play Starfleet guy number three, and uh, <laughs> and that's going to be it. Yeah. But uh, you know, that's just that's just what I want. Yeah. But uh, your uh, your uh, superhuman feats you saw him do in the in the trailer, you him jumping and shooting at the same time, and doing his little martial art moves with that giant gun. Yeah. So, yeah, two things. Him jumping, uh, from the angles that they were filming it, it looked like maybe he was jumping up. Right. When in actuality, when I've watched it multiple times, he's jumping down. And he's got a huge gun. I mean, a huge gun. This is, like, big. This is, like, a a three-foot, four-foot-long gun. And it's like, number one, Gary Mitchell does not need a gun. Uh, But also, he's jumping from a pretty high height, Right. Um, and you had mentioned it was kind of a little bit like what they were doing inside of Narada in the uh, 2009 movie. Right. So, okay, yes, they're doing that. But he's jumping from a pretty high height with what appears to be a pretty heavy weapon. And in reality, he'd probably break his legs when he hit ground. But, you know, a little bit of artistic license is going on in movies these days. So uh, I'm sure he is quite normal human being. 
who just happens to be a very driven, a very uh, well-trained, kick-butt kind of guy. Right. I do like when he's jumping off like that, and yeah. he's actually using a pistol in his left hand to shoot people while he's jumping, and then when he lands, he starts using that larger gun. Right. So it's actually uh, it's a pretty cool scene. Yeah, he, he looks bad. Oh, bad. So you're right. Gary Mitchell wouldn't need those weapons, but there is a particular Superman that <laughs> would be at home using those kind of weapons that uh, was the, the buzz... Of, of who he might be, oh. which is Khan. Oh, he's not Khan. You, you, you've completely ruled out the Khan possibility? Well, I don't think he's Khan. Uh, well, I mean, okay, so the original Khan, Khan, Khan Donian Singh, is that the full name? Right. He was an Indian guy. Um, you know, he's played from Eastern a, Asia. Played by a Spanish guy. Well, I'll agree with that, but the Spanish <laughs> guy, I mean, I, <laughs> I think Ricardo had a little bit of makeup on, um, but you know, Cumberbatch looks white bread. I mean, he, I mean, you, you get you get a few close-ups of him in this. He looks very white, kind of a British brand of pale, and uh, you know, he he does not look Indian at all. No. Uh, so I I don't think he's Khan. Um, and even if he is Khan, time-wise, obviously he would not be coming back for what Kirk did to him. Because Kirk hasn't had a chance to do that to him, leave him off on that uh, on that planet, right? Uh, you know, so that couldn't have happened. So, what would be if he was Khan, which I don't think he is, and if he wanted vengeance for something, it would have been when they put him on the sleeper ship, I guess. Right, and then but, why would he be focusing that on Kirk? Exactly, right. So you wouldn't right. have the same kind of, you know, kind of motivations going on. Uh, that Khan would have had in the scenario in the uh, second Star Trek film. So, all right, okay, I, I agree with you. Uh, okay, so we we done thinking about him, Cumberbatch. Sure, Cumberbatch. Let's, yeah, sure. Uh, so, w- yeah, what what was the next uh, <laughs> the next topic? You've got a you got a set of topics in mind. Yeah. Apparently. So uh, to add to your theory that, or your former theory that he was. Uh, uh, Mitchell. Mitchell. Uh, Alice Craig, or no, her name's Alice Craig. Uh, Alice Eve plays a, a, a Starfleet officer in here, and she does look a lot like Dana. Yes, yeah, she does. She's very cute, and her haircut is very uh, Dr. Daner like. Right. So, do you think she is playing Daner, um, or do you think she's just playing somebody else, or do you think she's playing somebody we might already know? Well,. I do think she is going to be playing Kirk's love interest in this film. And I further think she's going to get to, uh, you know, by, by Cumberbatch and his, uh, his activities. Of course, that last theory is way out on a limb. There, <laughs> there's no evidence of that. I'm just saying that's what I think is going to happen. Um, <clears throat> so I do think she is the love interest of Kirk. And other than that, exactly who she is several possibilities of which I really don't know. She could be Dr. Daner um, who Kirk never had a love interest with. Uh, She could be uh, Yeoman Rand. That's possible because we have seen Yeoman Rand trotted out in the uh, ongoing comic book series. Right. And... Nurse Chapel. Nurse... Okay. Could be Nurse Chapel but... And and because of the fact they're mixing around uh, romances 
Uh, who knows? I mean, you know, so we've got Uhura and Spock together. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe Chapel and uh, and Kirk get it on. Who knows? Right. And then, and then the last one, which I'm not going to mention because you're the one that mentioned it. Why don't you mention the other one? Carol Marcus. Carol Marcus could be. She's could a be. doctor. She is. In this alternate timeline, she could have joined Starfleet instead of going in the private sector. But uh, right. Uh, and I wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing her in an episode. Right. And in the comics, she actually was in Starfleet for a time. In the the DC comics, like yeah. in some flashbacks or something, yeah. Yeah, so. Right. So, you know, who knows if that's canon or not, but there is at least precedent for her being in Starfleet. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that it was her, but I also hoped that uh, she was, Carol Marcus was the one having the baby in the first trailer for the uh, the 2009 movie. You know, it shows that scene oh. with Kirk's mom, and I was right. just like, oh, I hope that's Carol Marcus giving birth to David. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... I've been wrong before on that one. Right. <laughs> All right, so uh, we don't know who she is. We threw out a lot of possibilities. All of yep. them are just as valid as any other one, I think. Right. So uh, let's talk about the other big thing in the uh, trailer is a the ship. certain ship. Uh, the ship? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So... so- at the beginning, or not at the beginning, but in the first portion of the trailer, first half of the trailer, we see quickly the Enterprise nacelle coming above water, like it was underwater, coming up out of water, and really cool effects of water, uh, you know, running off of the huge nacelle. Uh, and it's kind of turning a little bit, a little reminiscent of that that shot they had in the 2009 movie, where they had tr- warped to... Um, Jupiter, and the Enterprise was actually coming up out of gas oh, yeah, to expose yeah, right. itself. Mm-hmm. So it's a little reminiscent of that, but this is up from water. It's like, water? What? It's not a submarine. Anyway. <laughs> now, we don't know for sure it's the Enterprise. It does start with NCC, but let's just yes. assume it's the Enterprise. Yes. I I think that's a pretty safe assumption, but who knows? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Enterprise being submerged underwater. Makes no sense. It's a huge ship. It's built for space, not for water. Um, I mean, it, yeah. was, it was already hard enough to buy that the Enterprise was built on the ground and then taken up into space. Yep. But now we're to believe that after it's space, it, after it's flying around in space for a while, it's able to crash land into the water and then come up with no ill effects. Exactly. So the second half, so it's a little bit out of order continuity or storyline wise, but in the latter portion of the trailer, we see what appears to be the outline of the Enterprise hitting the water at what appears to be fairly fast speed. Um, You know, not warp or impulse velocity or else it would be dust. But um, it's hitting the water fairly fast, and it looks—it's kicking up a lot of water. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it not only does it look like it hits the water; it looks like it might skid on the ground for a while. I mean, because oh. if you look at those crowd shots, it shows like buildings being torn up and things like that, and then it shows the oh, Enterprise you... going oh. into the water. So I think it hits the ground first and maybe skids a little bit. Uh, or at it, least, and it looks like San Francisco. Yeah, or at least it's low enough that it's. 
either skimming the, the buildings, so maybe it isn't hitting the ground per se, but maybe hitting buildings or that maybe just point. the force of the Enterprise coming through like that. Maybe it doesn't actually physically touch anything, but like the sonic booms or or the displaced air or whatever is causing destruction. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I thought I thought the the the, the building destruction was more like bombs going off, but yeah, and you're right. It could. I'm you know I'm only going off what I've seen, and, and right. that was the story I put together. <laughs> but that could be it. Um, and I gotta say. How this terrorist, uh, if he is a terrorist, and I think he is, how he's able to bring down a starship like that, if indeed it's his doing bringing the starship down, which I assume it is, but who knows? It's like, wow. Hmm. Wonder right. how he managed that. Yes, I agree. I mean, is he? does he have another ship that he's attacking the Enterprise with, or is he doing it somehow from within? I, and I vote for somehow within, because he's, he appears to be a very clever terrorist. Right. And and wasn't he kind of... Isn't there a shot where he looks like he's in a Starfleet uniform? No, there's a shot where he's in the uniform. Well, he, okay, he, has, yeah. he has the undershirt, the one that Kirk wore through ah, most right. of the last movie. Right. He, he doesn't have the yellow tunic on, but he definitely has the undershirt. Right, exactly. Okay, which everybody wear. Everybody seems to wear underneath their, their tunic. Right, exactly. Interesting. So somehow he could have gotten on the ship. Somehow he could have engineered something uh, to bring the ship down. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and was it my imagination, or is he supposed to be former Starfleet? I think I saw some reference talking about that. See, I haven't seen any reference. I, I, I'm, you know, as spoilery as this is being, it's all speculation because I haven't read anything legit. Right. So I don't know. I think there was that little blurb that Paramount put out of what the movie's going to be about, and I don't remember right. it saying that he was former Starfleet. Yeah, but I thought it said something about... Um, said that it was being... Know, a, a, a threat from within or something like that. Threat from within, yes, it does right. say that. Right. So Which, I thought the within was Starfleet, but maybe not. You're right, it could be. Or it could be, you know, maybe Cumberbatch is uh, Mirror Universe Kirk. No. <laughs> <laughs> No beard. Well, okay, Kirk, Nick, Kirk never had a beard. But, um... Well, you don't know yeah, what Kirk You're had. funny. You're funny. <laughs> it's not... No, it's kidding. No. Now, that's far-fetched. No. Um, so, is there any other little jewels to uh, mention? There's a lot of visual things. Oh, we see Spock... Well, we see a figure descending on a cable very quickly. We see a shot... Very reminiscent of Star Wars 3, where a, some character is, like, in a volcano or something. Right. Uh, you know, a fiery volcano kind of thing. On, on and, the safari, right? Right. And we know that's probably Spock, because many months ago, many months ago, uh, there was actually a leaked photo, Spock, in some kind of a red... Well, it could have been a spacesuit, because it completely covered his body, but it was red... And I don't know whether they actually said it or not, but, I mean, it basically gave the impression he was, like, a, like in some kind of a fiery, volcanic kind of environment. Yeah, if that's Spock on the zipline or, or the whatever you call that, um, that right. rope, right. Uh, then, then he's the one that has the big gun. Because that guy who comes down on that rope has the, the big, giant gun. So that's why I thought it was... Oh, the Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch. Okay. Well, I'm going to find every possible way to pronounce his name and say it on the show. <laughs> well, I thought it, 
I thought it was Cumberbatch because it just sounds better. But if you look at how it's spelled, it looks like it's Cumberbatch. Right. So, which is an awkward name, but very, uh, very British, I suppose. So anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. That that could be Spock or him. Right. Going into the volcano, and why would they go into the volcano? Who knows? Can't. We'll have to find out. Exactly. The the part of the trailer I don't like is mm-hmm. the red fields that uh, Sulu and Kirk are running through. Oh, you don't like that? No, because it makes me think that they're running to try to get past a giant monster that's chasing them down and <laughs> a, a ravine, and it's going to come down with them. You know, uh, yeah. it, it's... <laughs> well, definitely they're running away from something. Exactly, and I just to, keep... Right, yeah. it, to, to the point that, as um, many of you have probably seen the trailer, where they have uh, jumped off of a very high precipice. Uh, it looks like it's on the uh, on the shore of an ocean, and they're jumping into uh, water. And this is they being Kirk and Sulu. Which, I must say, I kind of like the uh, the Kirk-Sulu pairings that they that they continue to do. So it was those two definitely that, was on the, that, that were on the drilling platform that they disabled in the 2009 movie. So that was a cool pairing. And it looks like they're doing somewhat of that uh, again in this film. Right. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. A little, just, a little mini buddy kind of uh, action thing going on. So I like that. Yeah, I just don't want to see him being chased by uh, a four-legged monster. <laughs> and then have Spock but, at the end scared away with a little, <laughs> with a little torch. With a little torch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, that's Abrams. I mean, and his love for Star Wars, right? Right. You know, a little nod to Star Wars. So hopefully he does not continue that. I agree. <laughs> so uh, just because this is going a little long and we have a whole episode, which as per usual we're long-winded on, should we oh. cut to the chase? All right, go ahead. What's the chase? Okay. So the chase is that there is a little extra footage at the end of the Japanese version of the trailer. So the American version does not get this. Uh, the rest of the world does apparently not get this, but the Japanese version that is in English, but it has Japanese subtitles at the bottom, it has a little extra footage at the end, doesn't it, Donovan? Yes, and it has another monologue of Cumberbatch saying, uh, is there anything you would not do for family? Right. And visually, while that that those lines are being spoken, we see what appears to be someone on the opposite side of glass or some kind of clear (laughs) aluminum or something, who is in a blue Starfleet uniform, who is extending their left hand onto the glass and on our side, the viewer's side of the glass, is another person who's extending their hand that's somewhat obscured in darkness but it looks like it's probably a gold tunic and they they, they kind of... uh, have their hands on both sides of the glass line up with a live long and prosper, uh, you know, kind of signed with their hands. So I'm not quite, I mean, just that alone uh, doesn't tell you a lot unless you think back on Star Trek history. Star Trek 2. Exactly. Specifically, Wrath of Khan. It appears to be a reenactment of uh, Spock's death scene. Yes. And I think that's definitely what they want you to think. Exactly. Now, is it misdirection? <laughs> or is it really Spock's going to die in this in this episode? 
it, and as soon it, as right, so, so which way are you leaning, and I'll tell you which way I'm leaning. It's like, okay, so this is the second film of the new franchise, uh, or the reboot, in mm-hmm. the second, and and Spock could die in this one, and of course somehow be resurrected later. Uh, it was the second film of the original crew's uh, run at the movie theaters where uh, Spock died. So, hmm... Um, I think it's quite possible they're going to do it. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to do it. I think that's okay. what they want you to think that they're going to do. Right. And I don't think that's Spock and Kirk in that shot. It it might be Spock, but I don't think that's that's Kirk because he's not wearing. How do you know? Because what the you know you can only see his sleeve and you can't really tell the color. But exactly. So you were able to see the braid? No, can't see anything. And that's okay. that's why I think he's not wearing his tunic. So okay. the only person in the trailer we have not seen wear the tunic, but wear the undershirt is Cumberbatch. Right. I think it's him. I think this is his death scene, and Spock is watching him die. Uh-huh. They're and reversing this, it. This is the last little... You know, maybe maybe he turned at the end, and you know he's not quite as bad a guy as we thought he was. And this is his last little outreach to Spock through through transparent aluminum. Okay. So, and, and quite frankly, I can't I can't see Spock reaching out to him unless he knew him in the past. Right. If he's just some guy out of the blue who's caused death and destruction on an on an awesome scale, um, I can't see him get all weepy at the end, even if he does turn out to be not as bad a guy. Well, the the only, you know, you you talked about that one picture of Spock in the volcano. There was one right. other picture that showed Spock doing the death pinch onto Cumberbatch. Uh, right. That's not in the trailer. Okay, so so. That's not a, no. That's not in the trailer. That was supposedly supposedly wasn't that supposedly leaked? Uh, I don't know if it was leaked or did or... they they official. I don't think they officially let that out unless they purposely did that to uh, you know as part of their. Hype ninja in ninja uh, hype machine, right? Right. Anyways, that's just my thought. Just only yeah. because of the sleeve. <laughs> no. Well, just because uh, you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't. Uh, oh, I yeah. know. I know. It's oh, all I know. about misdirection. I mean, that's that's what these trailers are for. Oh, well, especially with uh, Abrams and company. Jeez. So, anyways, that's that's my two cents on on what I think that that last shot is. Uh, right. And and mainly maybe it's because I'm thinking that it has to be a trick that it's not going to be as straightforward as 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 it appears to be. Right. Well, definitely, if Spock did die, how would they bring him back? I mean, they don't appear to have a Genesis device yet. Unless so, this is Doctor Marcus, and she's like, "Oh, by the way, I have this Genesis." Device. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now you're dragging us back to uh, the con theory. <laughs> nah, I think that's what they want you to think, and I, I'm, I kind of hope it's not. I think they, you know, Khan had a great movie, and yeah. he had a, a great episode of the television series. Yep. Um, I, l- leave it alone. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, let let's move on to something different. Yeah. Um. So, Just like I, if, do, I, I don't want him to come out to be uh, a Reman clone of Kirk either, because they've <sighs> done that already. And it was fantastic. <laughs> it, it was fantastic? I'm being sarcastic a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. Sarcasm, good. Okay. Because that, that movie didn't end up doing very well. 
but yeah, financially. Only, be- only because Bane does not look anything like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> but they shaved his head and everything. <laughs> Anyways, we are way off topic, and we, this went a lot longer than I thought it would, so yeah, uh, it maybe we should wrap it up. Long uh, story less. short, I think I probably will see this movie. Uh, and you will see the first... They're supposed to be showing the first full nine minutes of the movie, as I recall, uh, coming up here soon when The Hobbit is released. Indeed. So, definitely, uh, I, I was I was going to watch The Hobbit. I was probably going to see The Hobbit anyway, because I do like the story. I like the book. Also, this is going to be the what uh, first uh, 48 frames per second film. You know, Hollywood movie film. Right. Um, which I'm intrigued on that, and and of course now that I'm going to see, you know, the first chunk of the Star Trek film, oh, sign me up. Yeah, so maybe we'll do another one of these uh, in a couple of weeks where we can talk about uh, those first nine minutes. Sounds good. I too will be at the IMAX screen watching that. Yes. Uh, I'm not that excited about the 48 frames per second as I'm excited about the Superman Man of Steel trailer. Oh right. So those are yeah. my, my my two big reasons why I'm watching The Hobbit. Yeah, it's really interesting, the cross-marketing that's going on in uh, in films. It's very interesting. Oh, it's been going on for a long time, because I remember... Well, I know, but I it seems saying, like it's been clicked up a notch. I remember going to see Wing Commander on day one, because oh, it was going to have Wing the Commander? Star Wars Episode One trailer. And it did, and it was fantastic. <laughs> The rest Wing. of the movie was... Other. <clears throat> okay, Wing Commander, as in the video game, turned into a movie? Yeah, starring... Was that, was that decent? Prince Jr. No, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw it. I, it I had, had no Freddie Prince Jr. as the main character right. and Shaggy as his sidekick. Oh, Shaggy. It, it was... Uh, well, I guess Freddie Prince Jr. is in Scooby-Doo, too. So it was Fred and Shaggy in a movie. Yeah. Space. <laughs> and 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 the guy who played Shaggy, I don't know what his name is, but he's a good actor. I I, I haven't seen him in that much in the past yeah. several years. Uh, he's yeah, I guess I haven't either. So anyways, uh, so we'll 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 get back together on some more modern uh, modern uh, little segments like this before the movie comes out. I think. Oh yeah, as as new information that's significant is leaked. Okay, everybody, enjoy the rest of the uh, episode, the normal episode. Although you may want to take a break. You know, yeah. you don't know, but because this is going to be a a big file, a long file uh, for Sorry this episode. About that, folks. Okay, thanks everybody. Right. Take care. Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 99, almost 100, October 18th, 2012. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we have started to post these bi-weekly uh, instead of weekly for a little while. And in actuality, uh, 
We haven't recorded in almost a month, have we? It's been since the end of September, near the end of September. Yeah, so... Yep. So we had some uh, personal life things going on, kind of had a little bump in the road, but I think we're back from that. Back in production. Hopefully we're not too rusty. Uh, This is the Star Wars comic book review, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, that's right. Star Wars? Of course not. It's Star Trek. Oh, And it's comic books, not novels, not TV shows, not movies. Comic books. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was actually I was actually glad to get back in the uh, into reading these. I guess I had missed them and I didn't even know it. Well, things come up in life. Obviously, are the priority. It's nice to get back to uh, a little bit of entertainment. Sure. Yes. And since we don't have a new Star Trek TV series or Star Trek movie to watch, uh, these are. Almost as good. Yeah, it's they're, they're they're quite good. Of course, now that it is into the new fall season, TV season, there are lots of new shows. Some of which are science fictiony, you know, genre kind of vehicles. So at least we have some of those things to look at. But it just doesn't quite, uh, just not the same as a Star Trek TV series. I'm sorry. Yeah, the closest thing we have is Doctor Who, and it went into its mid-season hiatus. So right, what's there to watch? Well, uh, is it supposed to be Christmas time or maybe January when we get to see the new um, the new Doctor Who companion? Sets. Yeah, it'll start up again in Christmas. Cool. So, so not too far away. And I'm looking forward to how they work that uh, new Shh. companion. Just don't let's not spoil anything in case people are watching the show. What? What? I, I was a little disappointed that I found out early who the companion is. Oh, really? Well, yeah. anybody who's been following it has known who the actress is far before the uh, season opener. I think we're Asylum giving too much of the dialects. Okay. <laughs> okay, but that's uh, that's a, that's a different uh, franchise. So right. So we're going about... to talk today about Star Trek: Next Generation. Exactly. Issues so... forty-nine through fifty-one. Yeah, so these came out August, September, and October of 1993. Right. And we have that exciting Borg vehicle going on that we're going to be wrapping up this uh, in this episode. And Indeed. Then, and then do a one-off issue. And, and it is really one-off. <laughs> Let's hope it's one-off. <laughs> it's, uh, no, no, it is. Yeah. It's uh, it's not nearly as good as the uh, as the first two issues today, which is capping off a rather exciting uh, story arc. Right. So for everybody who might be a little rusty themselves, uh, this is the worst of both worlds. I think is how they kicked it off, where mm-hmm. Enterprise D has been sucked into an alternate dimension where the uh, Federation has lost the battle with the Borg. And they're in the process of assimilating Earth, not Earth. Yes, Earth. Right, which is a big plot point for these these two books. Right. So uh, I guess with that little recap, you want to just jump into it? Let's do it, man. All right, so issue number 49, August 1993. It's entitled The Armies of the Night. The writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Peter Krauss. Inker is Pablo Marcos. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Julianne Frieder. And editor is Alan Gold. The cover shows Worf arching backwards, 
a phaser is shown blasting through his entire body, entering in his back and exiting out through his chest. A lone Borg is in the background firing the deadly blast. A caption reads, one will die. So the story starts off with Data and Picard aboard the Borg vessel. They are still reeling over the fact that they made it all this way to find out that Lucutus is not even aboard the Borg cube. Through a view screen or a window, uh, both of the Enterprises, uh, one being the full Enterprise D and then one being the star drive of the alternate universe's Enterprise, can be seen floating in space. The duo are then attacked by Borg drones. They use the personal transporters on their arms to return to the shuttlecraft, and they take off. Before they can reach one of the Enterprises, however, they are caught up in a tractor beam. The alternate wharf is able to beam them out of the shuttle just as it is destroyed. The two Enterprises warp away while the Borg cube remains in orbit around Earth, like a dog watching over his bone. Sometime later in, in the briefing room, Data informs alternate Riker that he now knows that Locutus is on Earth within the remains of Starfleet Command in San Francisco. They state that they are going to create another team and beam down. Then they're going to bypass the energy shield and then attempt to retrieve Lucutus. Picard again volunteers to go. Alternate Worf insists that he is going to go this time. Because as you remember last time, he wanted to go, but uh, he was not allowed. Alternate Riker agrees with him and states that the uh, team will also be made up of our wharf and Riker. Alternate Riker assures them all that they will be able to get the real Enterprise into the rift and return them home before it closes. As you may recall, there was a rift that opened up and uh, sucked the Enterprise into this alternate universe. As everyone is getting ready, the two wharfs have a chance to talk. Alternate wharf is ashamed that he still lives after the failure to save his Picard and his Data. The real Worf explains that he understands this, and that perhaps the reason why Alternate Worf survived that mission was to be part of this rescue. This seems to pacify the self-loathing Klingon. On the bridge of the real Enterprise, Alternate Shelby, Wesley, and O'Brien talk about the mutiny that they plan to take when Alternate Kirk's plans fail. Alternate O'Brien perhaps has a plan of his own as he looks a little guilty and presses a button on the console. The two ships have arrived at Earth and the five-man team beams down. They are completely ignored by the Borg on the surface. They enter a building that shows humans being assimilated. Picard prevents the team from attempting to stop them since this would identify themselves as threats. On the Enterprise, Shelby gets the Borg Cube's attention and leads it away on a merry chase. On the alternate Enterprise, Troy and their version of Riker talk about Guinan, and the alternate Riker suggests that he wished he would have known someone like her. This again proves that the two universes were not 100% the same prior to the episode Best of Both Worlds. On the surface, the team finds Lucutus. They also find the controls for the energy field, and Picard promptly destroys it. 
This stirs up the drones, and a firefight ensues. Worf is able to get Lacutus, or Worf is able to get to Lacutus and knocks him out with a hypospray. The fight continues as they request an emergency beam out. However, before they can teleport away, several Borg fire at the two Worfs and Lacutus. The final panel shows a shocked Picard and Riker looking at the hand of a person. The skin on the hand is pale, yet Picard yells, Worf! Which one is he talking about? Stay tuned for issue 50 to be continued. Oh, another cliffhanger. Yeah, but who's the white wharf that he's yelling about? <laughs> ah, eh, well, uh, well, you come on. It was weird. What the coloring? Yeah, it's just another coloring error. I kind of, at first, I thought it was Data, and then I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because Data wasn't even getting zapped. Yeah. So I just, I'm chalking it up to a coloring error. Yeah, it's a coloring error. That's all. But which wharf got zapped? Gosh, Donovan, I don't know. Which one? If you look at the cover, and we know that covers are always 100% accurate <laughs> and never misleading. Yeah. That's our wharf getting the blaster through his chest. Yes. Given the uniform and no leather shoulder patches. Yes. Right. I completely agree with you. <clears throat> However... As you point out, uh, covers can be very misleading. No. And besides, which wharf have they been setting up this whole time that has been languishing in guilt over his perceived failure in performance uh, prior? Oh, yeah, that's like, the al- that was the alternate wharf. Ah, yes. Oh. And, of course, which wharf do we know survives uh, <laughs> to see another day? Uh, in multiple countless uh, later stories that we're already that we've already seen, we don't know that they could they could chalk it up to the the alternate wharf coming to our universe and having to pretend to be the normal wharf. Ah, oh, that's possible. <laughs> Anything is possible in stories. However, okay. Yes, I got a so, good feeling that it's the the other one. Yeah, it's. Uh, odds are our wharf survives, but we'll find out in the next issue. Speaking of which, I do think the cover looks very cool. Trey cool. So wharf, whichever wharf it is, uh, gets nailed in the back big time by a Borg. And he is up off his feet, as you mentioned, arched. His back is arched from the force of the Borg uh, directed energy weapon. And he looks extremely uh, like he's going to die. Oh yeah, it, it it that beam sliced through him like butter. <laughs> like butter. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. cool picture. It is very cool. Not that so. I like seeing our beloved dwarf <clears throat> skewered on a energy, but our energy weapon, but it looks yes. cool. Yes, and of course this time being an energy weapon as opposed to a long metallic semi-autonomous tentacle, as we had seen uh, happen at the hands of Nero in a previous comic. Which I still think it's weird that he survived that. It looked very nasty when he got it. But uh, in this one, it's an energy weapon. And odds are, whoever got hit is not going to survive. Nope. Probably yeah. not. But you know, he's not wearing the little, you know, the bandolero type thing. So maybe that is a hint that it's the alternate. And the shoulder pads just got somehow knocked off. 
<laughs> from the force of the blast. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. Who knows? Just kidding. So I just want everybody to know that we're listening carefully that Captain Kirk is not in this issue. I think you meant Riker when you said Kirk. Oh, did I say Kirk? Yes, but it's kind of funny because I sometimes do that myself because Riker has a lot of similarities to Kirk. When did I say Kirk? Maybe you just heard Kirk. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, well, I'm scanning through my uh, synopsis, and I never actually wrote Kirk. So, well, since I, when do we always say what we write down? Well, never. But if I wrote it down, then I can guarantee you I probably did say it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and I apologize in advance. I meant to make a little disclaimer at the beginning that I'm going to use the word alternate way too much in this synopsis, but I didn't know of any other way to, to yeah. refer to their doppelgangers. You know, I could say yeah. the uh, the doppelganger, Kirk, uh, Riker, or the clone. It's not really a clone. Cause no, it's not a clone. I mean, and, and for that dimension, it's a perfectly valid version of Worf or Riker or whatever. But uh, definitely from our standpoint, alternate is a great word, and it works fine. Right. Now, I could now have said what, mirror, mirror, the mirror, Kirk. Uh, right. Yeah, he could. Now he you could. got me saying Kirk. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and unfortunately, their names aren't something really cool. So, like on uh, on Fringe, Walter's alternate version is called Walternate. I think that's what they call it, <laughs> Walternate. They say because they have the same problem. I mean, that's you know, in one season, you know, they had both versions working together, and they would have to refer to each other and and luckily Walter was close so they said Walternate. So it's like cool. That's actually kinda witty. It is kinda witty. But uh they don't I don't think anybody has a name quite like that that works out so well in Star Trek. So we'll we'll stick with the alternate Riker, alternate Worf, and alternate Kirk, if I may say it. Yeah. He anyway. should have been in this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um Alternate Riker on pages six and seven is kind of dumb. Uh, they kind of portray him as dumb a lot in this story. They do. I mean, I know it's a it's a mech in this particular instance. It's a mechanism to review what the game plan is. Mm-hmm. But man, they make him sound dumb. In San Francisco. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny because Data's like he's in the Starfleet headquarters. In San Francisco? And Data says, yes, sir. That's that's where it is, yes. <laughs> that is funny. I, I didn't read it you... as him being too slow to catch on. but. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's multiple things in there. He's like asking all these dumb questions. I don't know. Yeah, well, when, kinda... when Shelby's talking about, you know, as soon as this plan fails, we're going to go off on our own. And I'm like... If I was probably working with Riker all this time and he's really that stupid, I'd probably be ready to mutiny myself too. Exactly. Exactly. He's always second guessing himself. He's always uh he's he's just he lets the other Riker and the other Picard tell him everything he needs to do. Yeah, well definitely in best of both worlds, uh part one, um, at the end of season three, he was definitely questioning himself. Uh, he, he was not as, I mean, it, it, he definitely was not as, um, as confident of his, of himself as he should have been, I thought, 
But definitely all that changed after he was the hero with mm. the plan. In this season uh, four opener. I don't remember him being uh, unsure of himself, but I haven't watched those episodes in quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it, he, he wasn't always unsure of himself, but there were aspects in that in that part one where he did show some second guessing of himself. Mm. And I think it was kind of cool that that this story kind of took that and then just continued that because after his plan failed, it's like <laughs> and they take over Earth. It's like, uh, wow, I guess there's a lot of reason to uh, not be so confident anymore. But eh. right. Hmm. Maybe Shelby should take over. I don't know. I still don't understand why Shelby's over there on on our Enterprise. I, mean, I agree. That that ship is full of completely capable officers. Why would they let Wesley, O'Brien, and Shelby from the alternate universe take over? Yeah, exactly. Take a pick back our own ship. I mean, you guys beamed us over here and you know and held us at gunpoint. Well, now we're all buddies now, so I want to take back my ship. Well, not only that, I mean, I would even, if I was Picard and I'm about yeah. to go on this mission, I can understand why he, they don't go back. But there's other people on the Enterprise that are, you know, there's there's a third in command that can come up and take over, and they don't need some external person well, coming in. Shall why don't you, like, like I think we said before in the last uh, in the last episode, just put our Riker back on the Enterprise. Right. Yep. You know, that would make so much sense. Right. And he wasn't part of the original away mission to the cube. No, you're uh, right. But. Yeah, no, I, it, I mean, they're only putting her on there because she's going to have this mutiny that she's referring to. In this, uh, right. This exactly. Issue. Right. And hey, don't, don't give it away. Oh, well, there was a hint. <laughs> It's a pretty, okay. it, it's not a very subtle hint when she's like, when this fails, I'm going to mutiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I noticed. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please. Well, thank you. I thought it was interesting how the beat up alternate uh, Enterprise's nacelle tips are light brown rather than rosy red on page 18. 18? I thought it was just, you know, maybe that's just part of the, you know, their way of just depicting that it's, uh, it's a damaged ship. Well, if you look at. Yeah, those nacelle things kind of change colors from time to time, though. Yeah. On well, it's pages. it's kind of a light tan. On uh, that is eighteen, right? Yeah, eighteen. Oh, actually, you know what? If you look at page one, when it shows both enterprises in the background, the right. um, the alternate definitely has yellow nacelle tips, and the enterprise has red. So. Right. I guess it was not a, a coloring error that they really were doing that. Yeah, I guess it's all just part of the damage they're showing. Yeah, but then on page three, both both enterprises have the yellow nacelle tips. So. Oh, they do. Yeah, on page. Ours too. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Ah well. So much. Oh for the, yes, yeah. there you go. So much for that idea. Well, that's sloppy. <laughs> oh well. So when they were putting together the uh, the second team that's going to go back to Earth, they're on page eight. Didn't you think it was odd they only chose five people when they have a a ship full of security officers over there in the in the real Enterprise? Yeah, exactly. Let, let's let's go ahead and send the most important people. Yeah, let's let's send them over there, and and let's only send five. Uh, 
Which at, at the beginning that turned out good because they were like ignoring him at first. Right. So maybe the smaller contingent had a better chance of like being able to not set off the uh, the Borg attack mechanism. So I guess that was good, but it's like send a few security guys, send a few red shirts. Come on, let's go. Right. Or needs, gold shirts in this case, I guess. Need some of those Makos from Enterprise. Exactly. Era. Exactly my point. I think I might have made it in the past. I think they need Makos all the time on these ships. Yeah, I agree. The Space Marines, something. Exactly. You're the fodder that gets to go out when uh, when <laughs> things get really dicey. Right. Exactly. Cannon fodder for you, yes. <laughs> uh, of course, when you do have data around, the, he's kind of an equalizer. Uh, I really like that uh, that that no look karate chop he does to disable an attacking Borg on page twenty two. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it's too bad Data doesn't do the six million dollar man stuff more often. Well, they have him in a in in issue fifty one when we get to. I thought he did a, a couple of cool things with him. Yes. Um, you know, not. You know, showing that he he does have abilities beyond humans. That of mortal men. Right. So we'll, yes. we'll talk about it later, but uh, I thought they did a good job in that one. Yeah. Cool. Anything okay. else on this one? I just wanted to say that it looked to me, the last thing I had to say, is to me it looked like Alternate Wharf moved to take the two Borg blasts. And the last thing you saw before the fi- before the firing happens. Yeah, where he says, uh, "Watch out!" Yeah, I, 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 when you read it, that's what it looked like. But then when you look at the picture, I couldn't tell if he was just helping Worf pick up Lacutus or not. Well, it definitely, our Worf is picking up Lacutus. That's mm-hmm. definite. Sure. And it looks like their alternate Worf was probably going to do the same thing until he saw the oh, you know, all these Borgs coming up on him. And mm-hmm. then it looks like he's turning because his lower body's turned, and it looks like he's moving to uh, intercept. But Yeah, I-, I got a feeling you might be right on that. <laughs> Being someone that's read all the issues. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway. So what, how about if we just find out? Well, I'm, uh, that's all I have to say. Would you have to say something no. else about the issue? Uh, no, I'm good. Cool. The next so issue let's... is a little long, so I think I was trying to keep my comments. Yeah, good job. You you did a good. Well, I think you also did a pretty brief, uh, straight to the point synopsis. Also. Well, not a lot happened. There was it was all pretty much just movement and yeah, not a lot of exposition. Right. Well, issue number fifty which is titled, And Death Shall Have No Dominion, from September 1993, is a double-size issue. Yes, a double-size issue, because it has a lot of stuff to cover. So, with no further ado, um, I think everybody's the same from a production standpoint. Yeah. Oh, um, a guy, Romeo, is involved. Uh, Romeo Tangal is helping out with inker duties, so he's helping Parplo with that. But other than that, I think that is the only Well, difference. there's there's an extra letter oh, as well. You're right. Richard Starkings is helping out Bob Panaha. So I guess uh, the double size issue needed some extra people involved. It not being an annual or something. Okay. 
Uh, the cover shows a Borg cube firing on the alternate dimension Enterprise D battle section, while our dimension's fully intact Enterprise D fires antimatter spray and takes evasive action. Surrounding the space battle are the heads of Locutus, Data, Roe, Alternate Dimension Riker, and Alternate Dimension Shelby. The story opens in a pitched uh, battle in Starfleet headquarters that is currently Borg HQ, with Riker and Data firing on incoming Borg. Picard is crouched down next to the two wharfs who are down and possibly dead. With the magnetic field down and Locutus captured, the away team call for an immediate beam-out. So far it has not happened, and the Borg are closing in after adapting to the team's phaser frequencies. Things look over when suddenly they are beamed back to the alternate Enterprise-D. Alternate Riker, Geordi, and our Dr. Crusher go from elation seeing Locutus materializing to grief when they see both wharfs are unconscious. Indeed, the alternate wharf is dead. He sacrificed his life, and in doing so, saved his captain and redeemed himself. After dying like a true warrior, Worf picks him up and wails to the heavens to speed him on his way to the afterlife. With Locutus in their possession, Data picks him up and takes him to the lab, where he and Data will be linked. Meanwhile, Shelby, commanding our dimension's Enterprise D, is leading the Borg cube a merry chase until it changes course to intercept the alternate dimension's Enterprise D. In a turbo lift to the lab, the Rikers come to the conclusion it changed course due to Locutus's presence on the battle section. As the rest enter the lab, alternate Riker holds our Riker back from entering. He says he needs someone with battle experience who knows how his mind works in critical situations. Who would know that better than our dimension's Riker? In the lab, our Geordi, Roe, and O'Brien are ready to set Locutus up in the interface booth. As Data attaches the interface to his head, our Picard recounts how he remembers very little of his rescue and this procedure, except as one recalls a nightmare. He has been Locutus for so long he wonders if there is enough of his alternate Picard to remember even that. Meanwhile, Shelby and our Enterprise D is attacking the Borg cube from behind with everything she has to no avail. The cube is locked on the alternate Enterprise. On the bridge, the alternate Riker says they have no choice but to do their best and play this out. Data begins the interface process while Dr. Crusher monitors alternate Locutus's life signs. Geordi and O'Brien monitor data status. The first two levels of access are accomplished with no significant changes in Locutus or data. But when the third level is reached, Locutus reacts with rapidly increasing brain activity and heart rate. Data reports neural connections are now complete. Data has access to the Borg consciousness. Data goes on to explain that the Borg mind net is much the same as the one in their dimension. As happened in our dimension, Locutus, detecting the threat to the Borg, attempts to attack Data with his right arm. Data catches the arm and uses his strength and brain to detach the business end of the deadly arm, rendering it non-lethal. Data accesses the Borg regenerative subcommand path and orders them to sleep. The command appears to have no effect on the Borg. The attack on the battle section continues, and Mr. O'Brien confirms there's not so much as a blip on the Borg mind net, 
that he has been monitoring through Data's connection. Data reports that the sleep command, though low priority, does have security on it and is unavailable to him. Picard notes that Beverly's counterpart was on Earth when the Borg invaded, which is clearly different from their dimension. Other small and large differences clearly exist between the two dimensions. Apparently among them is the difference in the Borg mindnet. The sleep command is different enough in this dimension that that attack vector is ineffective. Picard says that does not mean that the attacks on other low-priority commands won't be effective. He orders Data to issue a wake command to get all Borg going at the same time and put a strain on their energy resources. Data reports that that low-priority command is also unavailable to him. Locutus states, resistance is futile. You will all be assimilated. In response, Picard shakes his fist and says, every last one of them will fight to the last. They will not be assimilated. Picard says there must be a low-priority command that will immobilize them and does not have security on it. It's just a matter of time until they find it. Unfortunately, they do not have an abundance of time available to them as the Borg attack continues. Picard points out that it was the humanity still left in Locutus that suggested the sleep command. If there is any of alternate Picard left in Locutus, perhaps he will be similarly accommodating. If there is any way to coax that humanity out of Locutus, our Picard will find it. Shelby strikes the Khan and states that Riker has failed again. His plan did not work. She decides to take the intact Enterprise-D back to Earth to destroy the Borg assimilation facilities and set them back years in their assimilation efforts. They come about and head back to Earth, thereby leaving the alternate Enterprise to their fate at the hands of the Borg cube. As Shelby and our Enterprise speed away, Wesley Crusher at the helm starts to think about leaving the other Beverly Crusher behind. She believes they could beat the Borg, not just delay them. He decides he can't leave them behind and turns the ship around. Commander Shelby tries to get him to turn around at the point of a phaser. Wesley refuses, and just as she is about to burn him down, Alternate O'Brien shoots her in the back. They continue back to the aid of their crewmen on the battle section and the whole of humanity. In the meantime, Alternate Riker is feverishly giving commands to rotate the shield frequencies, maintain phaser fire, and take evasive maneuver Riker Theta. It's not enough. They are not getting through the Borg shields, and their shields are down 80%. Our Riker suggests flying whatever shuttles they have left via remote control into the Borg magnetic field. Where they will impact, they will be destroyed, but they will give them a temporary opening in the Borg protective field where they can fire their phasers through. They cause some damage with the plan to the Borg cube, but not nearly enough. The Borg catch on and start destroying the remaining shuttles before they can reach the magnetic field. Before another evasive course can be executed, a Borg tractor beam successfully locks on them. They are being hauled back to the cube as cutting weapons start carving up the hull. Argyle reports his repair crews are attempting to seal the breaches, but some are as big as... Nothing but silence. Humans are being sucked out of the ship into space like steam escaping a teapot. 
Our Enterprise D comes streaking back into the picture with guns blazing. They supposedly strike the Borg cube from behind with its shields down. Not taking the time to figure out why the Borg would drop their shields so quickly after capturing the battle bridge, O'Brien orders to keep firing while the Borg defensive shields are down. They come back almost immediately, and they trap our Enterprise D in a tractor beam. They try to max out the engines to escape, but to no avail. When all appears lost, Picard finally works out a way to bring out whatever humanity is left in Locutus. He runs up and whispers something in his ear. Soon after that, they see a tear issue from Locutus's left eye. Data reports the alternate captain is indeed trying to assert himself within Locutus. Locutus turns to Data and says, Eat. Arpicord says, Why, of course. Why did I not think of that before? Data issues the Eat command and finds no resistance to its execution in the Borg mindnet. Power levels begin to drop like a rock in the Borg cube. Both ships are released from the tractor beams, and the cutting beams stop. After they all catch their breaths, Picard explains that when the command to eat was given, all the Borg on the cube and the billions back on Earth began drawing on the Borg cube's power reserves simultaneously. That was never meant to happen. Rather, they are supposed to eat in shifts. The power drain exceeded the cube's reserves, and it shut down. Without energy, the cube couldn't protect the Borg on board's organic halves, which froze to death. There was not even enough energy to self-destruct. The Borgified humans on Earth will need surgery and counseling to get back to their human form, but it beats the fate dealt to Argyle and the other crew members recently flushed into space. Beverly states they should be able to restore the alternate Picard through surgery later, but as of now, she needs to get to sickbay to aid the many injured in the Borg attack. R. Geordi asks Picard what he whispered in Lacutus's ear to draw out the still-human Picard inside. Picard gives a long-winded explanation that he whispered Spock, the word Spock, in his ear. The presence of the strong emotion Sarek, who got into Picard's head via a mind meld prior to Sarek's death, triggered an emotional reaction beyond even human emotion that broke through Lacutus's domination of alternate Picard. Alternate Riker commends Picard's cleverness and coming through in the end. He goes on to say that after they effect repairs, they will get he and his ship to the rift and back home. Our Riker says he will not 100% believe that alternate Riker will just let them go until they enter the rift. Alternate Geordi attempts to reconcile with some of the things he said about Data earlier in the story arc, and ends up visor to visor with our Geordi. Crusher enters the dark room, where Worf is with his dead alternate self. He finds out they won, and Crusher says what a brave soul the alternate Worf was. Our Worf says he admires how he died, and hopes that when his time comes, he is able to face it as unswervingly as he did. Deanna enters alternate Riker's ready room. He asks to see her. He makes a play for her, asking Imzadi to stay with him. She says she is flattered, but cannot. He threatens to keep all of them in this dimension to give her time to reconsider. 
She calls him on his bluff and says she does not believe Will Riker would do that. He says she is right. Deanna and the other crewmen of our dimension beam from the alternate Enterprise to our Enterprise. Alternate O'Brien turns over command to our Riker. Our O'Brien transports alternate O'Brien, Wesley, and a third guy to the alternate Enterprise. Once on the alternate Enterprise, alternate Riker made a point of welcoming Wesley and O'Brien back and commending their coming back to give Picard the extra time he needed to finally defeat the Borg Cube. He recognized how difficult it was to make that decision, given how closely he worked with Commander Shelby. But it is now clear where their loyalties lay. Right? As they walk away, Riker continues to watch them. O'Brien confirms to Wesley that Riker knows they were conspiring against him, with Shelby right up until they decided to mutiny on her and come back. Some time later, as the two ships continue on their course to the rift in time-space, our Picard, Crusher, and Data are watching over the alternate Picard partway through and removing the Borg implants. Picard says his road back to humanity will likely be longer than his, given how long this Picard was a Borg. Suddenly, the alternate Picard awakens and says excitedly that their rift is closing. He goes on to say he created it while enthralled to the Borg. What was left of him was able to exercise enough influence over the Borg mind net that he could delay the assimilation in small ways. Though most Borg safeguards block conventional attempts to call for help, he found he could use the power of the collective consciousness to open rifts in the fabric of time-space. And that is what brought them to this dimension. Alternate Picard tells them they have half an hour, maybe less. Data calculates they will need to increase speed to warp factor 9 to reach the rift with any margin for error. The last of the crews are beamed back to their respective ships, and our Enterprise-D increases speed and leaves the other behind. Just then, Riker is called by Wesley, who says they found O'Brien unconscious in the cargo hold, but it's not their O'Brien. It's the other dimension's O'Brien, our dimension's O'Brien. Wesley figures that the alternate O'Brien did this to be with Keiko and Molly. Alternate Riker informs our Picard about the switch. Worf heads down to the O'Brien's quarters, where the alternate Miles is with Molly and armed. He gives up without a fight when he realizes they know about the switch. The alternate Enterprise catches up with our Enterprise and they exchange O'Brien's. Our Enterprise kicks it up to warp 9.6, despite the recently repaired battle damage. They make it to the rift at high warp with only two seconds to spare. They come out the other side into the correct dimension, which is confirmed by sensors saying Mardion 3 is inhabited by a population in excess of 50,000 people. After they catch their breath in the safety of a Borg-free quadrant, They wonder whether they would have the strength and endurance to keep fighting after hopeless years of Borg domination. Since there is nothing stopping the Borg from trying another invasion of their home, they hope they never have the opportunity to find out. The end. So, what did you think? (laughs) There There were some things about it that were kind of like, really? But overall, I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah, I I think that they missed something 
missed the mark a little bit yeah. with the alternate O'Brien wanting to take over our O'Brien's life. Right. I mean, it seemed like there would have been more there, but then it's just like, oh, I got caught. Send me back. And, <laughs> and that was it. I, I, you know, did you feel like, like I wanted to see some more interaction with him and Molly and Keiko, but there really wasn't anything there. So because there was so little there, I was just like, I don't know what what purpose it served other than just to add another page to the book. Yeah, it just added more to the book. It also forced a last minute, a last second entry into the rift. Artificial, it caused a further delay, which allowed more tension, artificial tension. Uh, will they make it? Will they make it? Well, of course they're going to make it. You know, I, I think I think it's part of the reason they did that. And although, yes, it might have been nice to see some more about the interaction with Keiko and Molly, in the end, they were already stretching things out too much. Um, right. I mean, the, the two Geordies getting at it and stuff. Uh, there were multiple things going on there towards the end as they were kind of wrapping up the story threads that is like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I don't need to see this. Come on, let's go. <laughs> well, yeah. And, anyway. Anyways. In my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I guess maybe the reason why I want to see the Molly thing is um, yeah. isn't that a plot point in the um, Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes where O'Brien comes back from the Mirror Universe? His, his nickname is Smiley. And uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't he have some sort of interaction with, with um, Keiko? Because his Keiko's dead or something like that. Oh. Um but there is no Molly in the uh, other in dimension. The, in the mirror universe, right? Right. So this, to me, kind of rang to that same type of plot point, and, and right. I like I like that idea that, you know, you have a wife, she dies, and then you find out that another you on in another universe still right. has the wife and even has a child right. with that wife that uh, – I think there's a there's a lot of story you could do there, and, and it just yeah. seems kind of tacked on here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> this whole issue is worth a lot of – it has a lot of tacked on stuff. Right. You know. Well, once they defeat the Borg, and uh, very handily, eat. What do you think about that? Eat. <laughs> uh, how many other words do you think they came up with before Picard himself suggested eat? <laughs> exactly because after they try they try sleep and they try rest and they try go or whatever yeah you know picard says oh well we'll have to f just keep trying and find out that's which, right which word it is we'll have to keep trying how about go pee pee <laughs> how about that did it work <laughs> go wee wee <laughs> rest nappy time uh let's see what else could be there i don't know <laughs> yeah no it was uh, that 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 part i also thought was a little weak yeah well and actually eat was kind of a spin on picard's earlier idea which was wake right everybody wake up so eat was a similar kind of idea if they're all awake you know they're all gonna be drawing energy right but in this case eat Oh, then everybody's going to be eating. So it's like, whatever. Yeah, and they all eat at one time, and it completely destroys the whole Borg. I know. I mean, they don't even have enough uh, energy to do a self-destruct. It's like, <laughs> you 
that is convenient. My 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 heavens, that's convenient. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's you know, Phantom Menace, Phantom Menace style. You know, <laughs> we got to somehow wrap this up. Exactly. You know. Hey, if it, if it works for the Avengers and for George Lucas, it works for me. <laughs> uh, anyways. Yeah, so uh, overall good, but not perfect. I mean, how many things are perfect? Come on. Yeah, you know, we've seen, you know, five story arcs that, that seemed really stretched. This one, I never, I didn't feel like the whole story was stretched out. I just feel like maybe this one issue was yeah, a little padded. I agree, I agree. But I, overall, it, the five issues together was a good story. Yeah, I think it was too. Uh, first, I was when they found out that um, Locutus was not, on the board cube in the exact place for years, <laughs> which is kind of obvious, quite frankly. Uh, I was thinking, oh my God, they're going to stretch this out big time. But I like what they did. It's like, eh, makes perfect sense. They, they, they start up a base of operations on, on Earth. That makes perfect sense. Why stay up on the board cube the whole time? You want to go to the people. So right. it made sense. The extension of what was going on was cool. So, yeah. Well, and I don't understand why it's taken so long for them to assimilate Earth. Right? Cause, yeah. Because, I mean, <clears throat> we've seen a next generation where they strip a planet down really quickly. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, and now it's been years since, yeah. you know, best of both well, worlds, and they're still not finished. Yeah. Well, I, we might have said this before, I don't know, but, I mean, there are billions of people on Earth. You know, maybe just takes that much time but there are uh you know it looks like there's a just a ton of borg on that cube the cube looks huge but still you know billions of people who knows um so that that one colony that was uh, kind of scooped out in uh part one of best of both worlds right i mean that was just a colony right i mean that wasn't a i mean yeah but i mean but i don't know you think that you know once you you know, you once you go to one city and and assimilate it, right? Then everybody in that city goes to the next city and starts assimilating that. That I, yeah. you know, you're gonna, that, you have a lot of a uh, lot of Borg. Yeah, I don't think it would take this long and to it, assimilate the it, whole planet. Isn't it handy how all of them have to feed off the cube? Hey, that's my point. <laughs> that, yeah, what, that's what, what, that's what I was what, gonna ultimately get at. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't you think they would establish some kind of power source on the planet, or maybe right. a lot of them? And if that was really the uh, the their their doom, then that means that if they would have gone and chased the one of those enterprises away, right. would that have suddenly killed all the Borg on the planet? You know, if they started trying oh, to eat or something out of range, out of range of their feeding tube. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Eh. yeah well. Agreed. Yeah, it just seemed and. You know, they keep talking about how the Enterprise is the last human, you know, they're the last humans. Well, if if the Borg went straight from, you know, Wolf 349 or 359, whatever it was, to Earth, and it's been at Earth all these years, then there should be tons of human colonies all over the universe. So oh, yeah. how, why and, are the Enterprise the only ones? Yeah, and what about the rest of the Federation? Have the Vulcans just sat the back and done nothing? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of other members of the Federation. Yeah, of course. So, you know, it's like they 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 simplified the story. It's like, 
you know, we're not going to worry about that stuff. La, 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 I can't hear you. You know, they're, you know, they're just going with this. True. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the Klingons would have been just sitting back letting it happen either. Uh, they were our buddies at this point, yes. Right. Plus, they know that if, you know, once all the Federation is gone, who do you think they're going to come after next? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Anyways, I, I didn't care for that part, but like I said, I'm not going to fault the story because <clears throat> you can't get into every little nitpick, otherwise... No, you can't enjoy things. Right. Yeah. Um, how'd you like the artwork? It was a little different at times, but overall I thought it was okay. Yeah, I think overall it was good too. There's a few panels that were like a little rough uh, <laughs> or maybe not that accurate, but then there were other panels that were quite good. So, overall, thumbs up. Right. A few times, um, Shelby, I thought, looked a little odd, you know, when she was angry and things like that. Yeah. Well, she she was so odd in that one panel the first time we see her, we thought she was uh, Crusher. Oh, yeah, uh, and the Dr. first Crusher. Issue. Right. right. Yeah, also, Locutus, or Locutus has a uh, flesh-colored ear in one <laughs> one of the panels. The rest of them is, is white. Oh, but, I missed uh, that. It's it's yeah. It's oh, a it's funny. a flesh colored ear. I guess they couldn't get the makeup on that part of his head. <laughs> he rubbed it off, yeah. Exactly. A little bit on the neck too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, there was a uh, a noticeable error in the the artwork that kind of threw me at first um, oh, on page one? eight. Eight. Uh, this might be the first time we actually see Shelby in this issue. But she's wearing a normal uniform. She doesn't have the shoulder pads. Oh. But she still has her version of the communicator and her version of the belt. So she just took the shoulder pads off for that scene and then put them back on. Yeah, and she definitely has them on in force on page 11. Right. In every panel. So. But, but when I was reading it, it kind of threw me at first. I was like, okay, yeah. is that our Shelby? She's somehow back to <laughs> No. No. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's a nitpick. Exactly. What can you do? So I like seeing Argyle. I made a note of that. I liked seeing Argyle. Me too. Too bad he died right away, but it was it was cool seeing him. Does he die? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he gets sucked out into space. But it doesn't show him in space, it shows some other people. Sure. And I suppose it's possible the communications could have gone out and he could have hung on for dear life, so he might still be inside of the uh, the uh, the part of the hull that was breached. But yeah. Right. It doesn't really make sense why Argyle would be there, because, I mean, definitely Jordy acts like he's the chief engineer. Oh, he is. So maybe Argyle never ascended to the uh, chief engineer status. Or maybe for some reason he was somehow made ju- junior to Jordy? After got, being the chief engineer? I don't he know. Got demoted. Demoted, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe too many maybe too many stills going and uh back behind the uh, uh dilithium chamber. Well you know Argyle doesn't do a little bit of the same. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure. He I mean yeah, okay, so Argyle. Yeah. So Argyle is Scottish, right? Uh he was I think he's only was in it one episode, wasn't he? Was it one? I don't know. He was a first season chief engineer. Right. Uh, he w- he was definitely in that. The data lore one. Okay. 
And wasn't he also in the one where they end up going to the other side of the, you know, with the with a traveler? Oh yeah, where no one has gone before. Right there, you go. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he 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 disappeared. Yeah, uh, so there there was actually what two two or three different chief engineers that first season because there was a woman in a couple episodes. Forgot her name, McDaniel, something something like that. Yeah. And then Argyle in a couple of episodes, and then um, and then suddenly Jordy became chief engineer. <laughs> right. Our pilot, our our pilot, our helmsman becomes chief engineer. Yes. Now that's a promotion. <laughs> that is a promotion. <laughs> it's just a a promotion and a very lateral movement too, into a totally different area that you would think not have that much to do with helm, but whatever. Yeah. Well, it's the same career path I think uh, O'Brien took, because he was the helmsman, yeah. transporter chief, chief engineer. Oh, was he a helmsman at first? Okay. Yeah, in the, in the first season. Okay. Yeah, the first season had three helmsmen, Worf, uh, Jordy, and O'Brien. Ah. They kind of rotated, and and then they all got promoted to something else. Oh, cool. So that Wesley could sit on the bridge. <laughs> and be a big boy. <laughs> cool. So, uh, but anyways, when Argyle and his crew got sucked out into space, that was an actual pretty cool scene. You don't usually see, you know, true space physics in Star Trek. Right. Whereas if you did puncture the hole, people would be sucked out. Right. As we saw in the 2009 movie, which was cool. And in the Nero comic book series i thought they did a good job there too yes also when the bridge was breached in nemesis you mean when you know, they, towards the end when they wrecked the ship towards the end of nemesis mm-hmm. there's a point where nero uh is able to fire and uh you know punches a hole in the bridge oh that's right that's right and then a bunch of people go flying out well, i guess genesis uh, had that too right when uh, Kirk supposedly got sucked Generations? Out. Yeah, what did I say? Genesis? Yes. Yeah, Generations. Sorry. Give me Genesis. <laughs> well, what did happen on Generations? Which part? Uh, when Kirk gets sucked up by the Nexus. And, oh, uh, right. After the, the ribbon hits the right. engineering section on the yeah. USB. We don't get to see anything, but yeah, right. Right. Yep. It Anyways. does happen on occasion, but usually it's just all you know is that because it's because it's too expensive to show people flying out typically. Oh, we took we took damage and they're repairing it, and it's like okay, great. It's like, <laughs> which is like I always wondered. I mean, I know there's Jeffrey's tubes and stuff, but when they got damage on the on the nacelles, how did they get to those? I mean, you got those spindly little uh, the spindly little arms. You know, connecting the nacelles to the engineering section, mm-hmm. and you figure it. So, so that's where the Jeffries tubes are, in the little arms coming up. But how do you get in the engines? Because they look huge. Anyway, right. Whatever. I just wondered about that. I think they do a good job on Enterprise. There was that one episode where they all had to get into the engine or get into the nacelles. Yeah. To get through some area of space, and then I thought they did a good job showing how you know how kind of confined that area is right and it just kind of looked like it went on forever a big long cool i don't remember that but that sounds very cool yeah you should give you should give enterprise another another watch i should i'll i'll get right on that you know with Uh, all your free time 
uh, huge amounts of free time, especially with all the fine new TV series coming back out. But no Star Trek. The new ones. and returning ones. No. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Oh, so how do you like what our Picard whispered into Locutus's ear to get him all emotional? Good thing that that episode happened in both universes. <laughs> exactly. But what if it what if it didn't? He'd be like, uh, okay. <laughs> Locutus would be going, Spock. Okay, Spock. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your point. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a little strange. Yeah. What season was that Sarek episode in? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly. But I, I think it was... I mean, it was definitely in the second half of the, the run, wasn't it? It wasn't really early, was it? I thought it was like season three or something. Three? Was it three? Okay. Could have been. Well, why? Oh, you want to make sure that it happened before... Best of uh, both worlds. Best of both worlds. Uh, right. Gotcha. Right. Because that would have had to have happened, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I guess it, if it was season three, then it would have happened before. Right. Um, best of both worlds. So I guess I guess that makes sense. Before the Borg attack and before he became Borgified, Picard. Borgified, Picard. Borgified, like justified, Borgified, <laughs> Borgified, Picard. Yeah, I thought it. Personally, I thought it was kind of reaching, but you know, okay, fine. You know, Spock. Okay. If you're going to go ahead and use two or three paragraphs to, to explain everything, okay, I suppose. Vulcans <laughs> are supposed to have these really strong emotions, but they just control them. Okay, fine. Got it. Plus, that's the only time that um, we saw Picard cry on camera. He cried in generations. Well, I meant up to this point. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just stretching here. So you're saying in the original Best of Both Worlds? Well, no, I'm saying in, in Sarek he cried because he mind-melded with with Sarek so that he would have all the emotions so Sarek can do whatever he needed to do. Right. Oh, oh, I got you. Okay, so back in that episode. Okay. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But you could think he could have just talked about his brother that that died while making that little um, ship in the bottle. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back from that uh, comic book issue. Yes. Yeah, but that was this. That was an annual of this series, so you mm-hmm. think that they could have made they a could've. nod to their own story, but maybe that, not that many people would have known what they were talking about. Right. Anyways. And plus, you get to invoke the name of a Star Trek icon. Actually, true. two Star Trek icons. True, true. Yes. How could you pass that up? Don't know. Yeah, so I got to ask, is uh, Shelby still on our Enterprise and now <laughs> back in our universe? I had the same Artemis. question. <laughs> yeah, no, she's still there. She's in the yeah. brig. Last time I saw her, she was in, in our Enterprise's brig saying, get me out of here. And then I, you know, they, they went through excruciating pain showing everybody beam back and forth to get back on their own ships. And I never saw Shelby. Nope, she's still there. Yeah, she's still there. <laughs> Forever. Forever and ever. That's right. So, oh, I thought it was a little forced towards the end where they were saying, oh, we've got to go warp nine now to have any, you know, any margin for error. And then they have to leave the other but beaten up Enterprise behind. 
Right. And it's like, oh, we got to switch O'Brien's. Oh, okay, will you catch up now? <laughs> and uh, uh, that's okay. We can go to 9.6 because we know that's really fast because it's exponential. Every warp factor is exponentially faster. Right. It's like, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was a little, ah. At the one point, you're, you're giving me the idea there's no time. There's just no time. And on the other hand, now all of a sudden you can wait for the other one. You know, the, the, right. the slow Well, back I think they, they turned around but, and went back, right? Well, I did they? Did they say that? In, I don't know. in the middle somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That would have helped, I suppose, but still. Right. Anyway. No, oh, it, oh here, here's my last criticism. And then I'll say sensors are an amazing thing. So at the end of the story, not only can they detect life forms on a planet in a matter of seconds, but they can actually do a complete census of Mardion 3. Oh, uh, oh, oh. So that you know that there are 50,000 uh, be- you know, intelligent beings on it, or whatever, people. Right. Yeah, now the sensors are either as great or as dumb as you want them to be per each store. <laughs> exactly, right. So if you're trying to find the landing party who you've, you've lost contact with, oh, they suck. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you need to do something like this, a complete census in a matter of seconds, it can do it. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. It's yep. all according to the writer. Right. So my last comment was, I know how we kind of speculated on how the rift opened. And, you know, I kind of thought that, you know, data, alternate data would end up coming, being still alive and somehow did the barrier or the rift. Oh, right. Uh-huh. So uh, I guess I was wrong. It was just alternate Picard. Right. <clears throat> being able to exercise control over the mind net somehow without being detected by Locutus. Odd. But yeah, okay, fine. Whatever. Yeah, that didn't make sense though, did it? No. And also when... and also all that that I just said, but that also he's using the power of the Borg collective to open up these rifts in time and space. It's like, really? Wow. I didn't know they could do that. That's a, it just seemed like it was just a, such a gross oversimplification to just say, oh, I can do that. It's really powerful. Just to go with it. Go with it. <laughs> yep, like, that's okay. exactly how it went. Okay, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of them. They're really powerful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I got one last thing to say, if you're done. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Um, on page four... Alternate Riker looks again like a fool, uh, with his arms waving up in the air, saying, Worf, damn it to hell! (laughs) (laughs) It's like, he looks like he's overdoing it for show. It looks like he's he's channeling the shat or something. It's like he's just totally overacting. Oh, that's hilarious. You're absolutely right. Oh, of course, you could you can read it any way you want to, but come on, his hands in the air, or he he could be really happy. Oh, <laughs> if you don't if you don't actually read what he's saying, you're right. Whoopee, they made it. Uh, yeah, or whoopee, he's dead because he wasn't listening to me before. I almost had to pull a phaser on him. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it anymore. No. <laughs> yes, that is an odd picture. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was funny. All right, you ready to go to the next one? I am. All right, so this is issue 51, came out 
Um, oops, let me get back to it. I'm having to PDF this one. All right, so uh, episode 51 came out early October 1993. So they're starting the bi-weekly releases again. Or, yeah, bi-weekly. No, yeah. All right, and uh, it's entitled Life Signs, and the writer is Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Penciler, Peter Krause. Inker, Mike Kristen. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Rick Taylor. And editor is Alan Gold. So uh, Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, um, big Star Trek contributors. Um, this is the first comic book that we've read that they've written. I believe. I don't remember you reading any of the other ones yet. Yeah, neither have I. And when I saw it was them, I had high expectations. Same here, because they've written some great novels. They were um, they were basically the the main consultants on Star Trek Enterprise uh, season four. Mm. So I mean, they were they've they're big players in the Star Trek universe. So yeah, I, I was expecting this one to be really good. We'll see if our expectations were met. All right, so the cover has Troy as the main focal point on the page. She's in the middle of the page, showing her grasping her head in pain. She's wearing what looks like an away mission burgundy jacket that they wore in the Wrath of Khan. And around this image is a swirl of yellow-orange energy. And within the, the swirl, there's a picture of Data... Dr. Pulowski and a close-up of Troy's face, and her her eyes are filled with this little star pattern. So the story starts off with, um, well, actually, uh, just to kind of date the story, this story actually takes place within the second season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So Dr. Pulaski's on board, and Wesley's still here. So uh, the Enterprise has just arrived to a barren planet that was recently devastated by a supernova. The planet has been completely glassed over, uh, except for an odd structure that looks to have once been buried about two kilometers beneath the surface. So this means that the nova basically vaporized the top two kilometers of crust off the whole planet. The uh, crew hoped that this structure could somehow have survivors in it. They beam down to the planet, or, or actually the story starts off and they're already on the planet. Data is in his normal uniform, while Riker, Troy, and Worf are wearing these purple coats and boots. Troy tells them that she senses something from within the structure. Uh, she actually reaches out and touches it and is zapped by some sort of strange energy and is completely knocked out. She awakes sometime later in sickbay with Dr. Pulaski standing over her and telling her that she will be fine. Troy and the others beamed up as soon as she was shocked so nobody else has touched the, uh, the structure. Pulaski makes some rude comments about Data not being a real person and leaves sickbay in a huff. Uh, the senior staff are brought into the briefing room. Uh, when they're informed by the head astronomer that the sun is actually about to go supernova again. And this is a phenomenon that is unheard of, but it is indeed about to happen in about two hours. Picard orders the crew to spend these last few hours trying to open the structure on the planet. 
and then they will warp away uh, just prior to the Nova going off. So back on the surface, LaForge suggests that they use the ship's phasers to drill a hole into the structure. Everyone is a little hesitant on doing this since it might inadvertently kill anything that still might be inside. But knowing that the structure will be destroyed anyway when the sun goes nova, Picard gives the permission. As soon as the phaser strikes the structure, Troy erupts into a blast of energy. Beams are streaming out of her eyes and face. Uh, she looks a little bit like the uh, current doctors when they start to regenerate. So she just looks up into the sky, beams start coming out of her face. As she's in this weird type trance, uh, the doctor's scanning her and says that she's knocked out just like before, while we see that the crew on the surface of the planet um, report that any life that might have been inside the structure are now destroyed. So they don't know for sure if there was anything there, but definitely not now. Troy wakes up, and Pulaski assumes that uh, she is somehow linked to the craft, and that's why she felt it when the phaser hit. On the surface, Data laments to Geordi about not being a real person. And for anything to be considered a true life form, it's required to have emotions. Geordi suggests that they continue this conversation when they get back to the ship. And then the two request a beam out. Unknown to them, three dots of energy travel from the hole in the structure and are caught up in the teleportation beam. O'Brien is blasted with a light as the two crew rematerialize on the transporter pad. The energy beings start to attack. On the bridge, Worf is notified of an intruder, and he and Riker head out to investigate. When they arrive into the transporter room, Data informs them that the three energy beings were trying to feed off the transporter energy, but they are now dying. The three dots are shown to fizzle out into nothingness. Picard is not taking the loss of a whole pre-warp civilization very well. He really wishes that they would have had some way to save something from the planet as some sort of proof of their culture. The head astronomer then informs the captain that she's ready to launch some satellites that will record the second Nova going off. As Data and Geordi launch the probes, Data again is lamenting about not having a heart and not being a real person. So uh, Pulaski really got under his skin in this one. As Picard gives the order to warp away, the engines go down, and the engineering room is ablaze with the three energy beings. They are now draining power straight from the engines. Data is unable to communicate with them directly. Troy, who is still in sickbay, attempts to do so telepathically, and again is blasted with this strange energy that emits from her eyes. She tells them that they refuse to communicate to her as well. But she does sense fear from them, uh, from the dilithium crystals. And she can also sense that they were imprisoned on the destroyed planet and not inhabitants of that planet. It seems that the life forms of the planet imprisoned them because they fed off of all energy. On the bridge, the crew are planning a way to capture the creatures in what Data is calling Dilithium Field Containment Unit, which looks like a metal pot lid. They do detect that the creatures have somehow tapped into the transporter and are creating a device that Worf recognizes as a neutrino-dampening fusion extinguisher, 
also known as a sun killer bomb. Jordy and Riker seem to know exactly what he's talking about and tell Pulowski that this thing could destroy a sun, thereby creating large amounts of energy that the aliens could then feed off of. They guess that this double nova is somehow the doing of these three alien beings. Troy senses that the aliens are in the hangar deck, so Data is off to find them so that the crew can again regain control of the engines and get the heck out of there. He sneaks up on the creatures and traps the first one right away. The second one puts up a fight and is able to actually destroy Data's communicator before it too is sucked into the pot lid. The third one attacks Data outright. Data seems to be pleading that it needs to stop hurting his friends. The energy being then enters his body in an aura of light. The fight has freed the Enterprise, and they are able to warp away just as the supernova explodes and destroys the planet. Troy senses that Data is still struggling with the being, and that he only has a few seconds left. She beams alone to the cargo bay. She finds Data and then calls for the rest of the team to beam to her location. Troy tells them that she can sense emotions in Data, and knows that he is still fighting the creatures somehow internally. The next page, somehow, everything's over. And they are in the engineering room. Jordy is tending to Data's injuries. And Troy tells Data that she was able to somehow sense his emotions when he was in conflict with the creature. She says that maybe someday she'll be able to do it again. Data says that he hopes she can. And then Troy tells Data that there's nothing more human than the emotion of hope. So you read this off of the the PDF, right? The DD, the DVD PDF. Heck yes. Did you think that there was some pages missing when you know she finds him? They beam over to help him, and then the next page, it's all over, and there was no explanation as to what they actually did to help him, or did I miss something in the dialogue? I didn't think anything was missing. I think the story kind of lost its momentum to that point. It's like, oh, where's Data? Where's Data? Where's Data? Oh, only Troy can go in alone. No one else could be there. Oh, no, no. That'll be too confusing for my sensing powers. And, uh, and yeah. And so, yeah. So, so the rest of the guys, the guys beamed in with those little um, Ghostbusters uh, ghost con- thing. They look like pot lids. They, they look like pot lids. They're about to uh, make spaghetti or something, and they don't want the sauce to splash. Exactly. So that's <laughs> yeah. So they. I mean, you see them with the pot lids, <laughs> the Ghostbusters pot lid things and traps, and sure. and they 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 just sucked them that way out. Yeah, I, I guess. So. They they just didn't tell you tell you the details. I don't know. It just seemed a little. It just seemed a little abrupt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just didn't like the the issue. <laughs> so right. yes, yes, it, it did seem they like they jumped forward a lot, but you know, they had yeah. the pot lids. You know, they're gonna get rid of the uh, the aliens, whatever. Now, yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about in this one, but one, it's kind of odd that they just throw it into the second season timeline oh yeah right Um, yep and i guess the only reason they did that is so that they could have 
somebody give Data a hard time about not being human, and obviously Pulaski would be the perfect one to do it. <laughs> Boy, she was she was not a nice person, was she? No, she was not a nice word person at all. Yeah, in this in this story or just in general? No, no. In well, she was in. She was particularly not very nice in this issue. Right. Yeah. She's she's downright evil in this issue. Yeah. I mean, she was a little. She was always a little prickly because she was supposed to be the female McCoy. Right. But, but you know, McCoy was always prickly. He wasn't a jerk, and she was a jerk in this issue. Right. And what was so good about McCoy being that way is that you had you had Spock, who even though he didn't have emotions, he still, you know, he would still, you know throw in a jab or two of them of his own right but data never did that so it was always like she was just bullying him right you know and he never actually you know gave her any grief he just sat there and took it and, right and I, I never really cared for her character anyways Nah. but uh i was a little i was happy to see that she was going to be in this issue at first and then i mean she, she wasn't really used right in any type of manner aside from being a kind of a witch <laughs> and then it's just kind of surprising on how how much of effect she has on data yeah he um he let her get under his skin yeah so the whole episode the whole issue i'm not a real person jordy <laughs> oh i'm pinocchio i'm not a real person a real boy yeah well a real boy has emotions. That's a right. A real boy has a heart. A real boy has a brain. <laughs> a real boy would have kicked the heck out of that Pulaski chick. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I didn't really care for that part either. Yeah, and then look how he's beaming in the last panel. Right. And there's nothing more human. And then Dave's like, oh, really? Yeah, uh, I, actually, I actually said, uh, I mean... Troy does say that, but in the panel before, it's kind of weird because Picard is the one that actually says, I have heard that hope is a powerful emotion, Data. You've heard this? You don't, you've never experienced hope, Captain Picard? It, it seems like an odd statement for him to say. <laughs> I heard that hope is a powerful emotion. I could be wrong about that because it's just what I've heard. But Right. Never experienced it myself. <laughs> So, anyways, yeah. And well, while we're on that page, look at Data's abs. Oh that, yes, yes, yes. That, Data has Data has six pack abs. That's right. He works out. Exactly. Man. Yep. <laughs> he would give those guys in the 300 movie a run for their money. I think so. Data 300. <laughs> oh. So anyway, so the energy creatures as a whole, what'd you think? Oh, they were stupid. <laughs> I would, yeah, just, just dumb. Yeah, I just. Uh, we had energy tornadoes a few weeks back on the original series. Yeah, that was kind of dumb oh, too. We had but energy dots. Yeah. Who like to suck all energy? So on that topic. Mm-hmm. So you've got these dots that are sucking the warp core dry. Mm-hmm. Ship loses power. It's like these guys can suck a lot of power. I mean, look at these guys. 
I mean, there's the whole power of the Enterprise are sucking down from the warp core, uh-huh. and then and then they attack Data, and it's like, you know, what does Data run on? You know, like what, like like ten D cells or something? I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing compared to the warp core of the Enterprise. Exactly. And uh, and he's able to withstand this sucking event that long. I mean. If they're able to suck that much power out of the warp core, shouldn't they be able to like, like suck data dry in like a second? Yes. I don't know. Yes, you're right. Should he should have not been able to withstand it? I think so. And besides, in the end, you know, you know, wouldn't you think they'd at least have flash memory in the future? It's like, okay, well. You know, okay, so they suck all your batteries dry. We can put a fresh set in, and you'll be right back to where you were before. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Sorry. I, yes, I hate but, to be such a spoiled port. But you're right, yeah. There, there was a lot of sucking in this issue. Uh, power, yes, yes, yes. There you go. Power, storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got you. Okay, I got the second one. Okay, good. Okay. No, I... I, I don't like to talk bad about about them, but I like you said, saw that their names were on it. Yeah. I got really excited because I like, you know, they write some really good Star Trek novels. They they helped Shatner create the whole Shatner universe, which which I enjoyed all those. The, Shat, so, the Shatverse. So uh, I was excited and I felt a little little disappointed. Yeah. I need to yep. look it up. I don't know how many other comic books those two actually wrote. I don't know, but I'm sure that's not too hard to find out. Nah, I'm sure Memory Alpha knows. But I'm not going to look it up now, so we'll right. just we'll just uh, wonder. Um, so the, the, the energy beings, energy beams that were coming out of data or Troy's face. Oh yeah, right. Uh, were those <laughs> she, real or were those supposed to be imaginary? I don't know, but I completely agree with you. It looks like either uh, a Highlander has had his head taken off, oh, or yeah. uh, or a, a Doctor who was regenerating. Completely agreed there. Um, <laughs> something big is happening. The way yeah, they drew it, and and they actually act kind of like you know like Pulaski. She's She's kind of reacting to it. So, but I wasn't sure is she reacting because Troy is, you know, writhing on the ground, or does she actually see all this light shooting from her face? Uh, I was never quite 100% confident on what was going on there. Well, I hope they saw it because otherwise she's going to look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but if they did see it, where the heck was it coming from? She's yeah. not. It's not Kryptonian. She's Beta Zed. They don't have X-ray vision. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. So, anyways, and, and when they were drilling through the uh, through the the structure, yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Trandoshans, where where they brought down that laser and was shooting down the um, the. The door there in um, the cage episode. Oh, right. Yes, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I kind of wish they would have brought down like a little portable mining laser instead of just shooting it from orbit. Yep, yep. You would think you'd be a little bit more precise, a little bit more pinpointed. 
<laughs> rather than just taking the same phasers that you use to blow Klingon battle cruisers out of the sky and, uh, you know, shooting this little thing. Yeah, so you were talking about how great sensors are. This is another another example of that, that something from orbit can shoot basically the size of a person there on the planet. Right. And just leave a little tiny hole in it. Just big enough for three little dots to get out. <laughs> Anyways. I guess the last thing I really have to say about this is the astronomy probe that they sent off on page 14 looked like a Taz photon torpedo. Yeah, I think Spock was in that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, torpedo slash coffin, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I thought the same thing. And I just wonder, well, why did they... Why they make? Why they draw it like that? It's like well, all the, all the shapes you could have made it. Why make it a photon torpedo casing? Right. Yeah. Who knows? I agree with you. And my last comment was, you know how when you see the covers of these books, yeah, and you you know you, oh, I bet this story's going to be about something something something. Right. Uh, when I saw Doctor Pulaski on the cover, the first thought that went through my head was. Oh crap! What if Ken's right and Pulaski is Oliver's mother? So I was when I started reading this, I was really expecting to have to eat crow because you keep saying that Lieutenant Oliver is Pulaski's daughter. Oh, keep telling you she's not. <laughs> and then you know, right after that story arc with Lieutenant Oliver, suddenly Pulaski's on the cover, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, I don't think it had anything to do with it, but okay. But I am. Uh, I am not eating any crow, so. <laughs> so, so in your face, no crow eaten here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my last uh, comment. Not, not a whole lot to say about that one. Yeah. Yep. All right. So before we end the show, we usually do the uh, elsewhere or expanded universe type stuff. And since this is next generation, we talk about the episodes that were coming out this uh, these months. So this is actually the beginning of season six with uh, Descent Part Two. Mm-hmm. I think that's season six. Season seven. Season seven. I was going to yeah. say that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the final season. So these should be the best episodes. So Descent Part Two, uh, lore... Lore's control over the Borg starts to, to falter and ends up into the movie, into the show. Data has Lore's emotion chip. That's really what you need to get out of that one. It was a good right. episode. Yep. And that emotion chip will play a part in uh, generations. Generations, that's right. That's how we're able to see uh, Data's little song and dance act with his... Uh, Ventriloquist ass act rather <laughs> with his tricorder. Yeah. Yeah. So just to be nitpicky, uh, when Data at the end of Descent Part Two is looking at the um, emotion chip, I think it's square. And then in Generations, when it gets installed, it's circular and a completely different design. So you know, just <laughs> throwing that out there. Somehow it morphed a little between the. Descent Part Two and Generations. Dang, Donovan, that is a uh, that is cool because I had <laughs> no clue about that. 
<laughs> should watch cool. it. Okay, you should watch it more often. Watch it five or six times like me, and you'll you'll pick up these things. <laughs> All right, so the next episode is Liaison, which yes. I think is a good one. It's the one where Picard crash lands on a planet, and he's confronted with a woman who says she's been there for seven years and hinders his attempts to escape. You're, you remember this one? Mm, no. Oh, well, then I don't want to spoil it for you, because it's actually a pretty good one. Hmm. Well, yep. I've seen them all, but I just don't remember this one. So, liaisons. The, the Enterprise on a diplomatic mission to open relations with the Ilarians, while two of their ambassadors have joined him on the ship. Picard is to travel the shuttlecraft to their homeworld. Counselor Troy takes charge of Ambassador Blah. Hmm. I don't believe that was his name. <laughs> it wasn't. It's uh, actually Loquel. Anyway, oh, so... Oh, Kryptonian. <laughs> Kryptonian. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, yeah, okay. I, I'll... I'll, I'll it, it, this is giving a whole bunch of garbage. I mean, it's given... It, it, there's like five different story threads in this... <laughs> in the synopsis. And none of it talks about what you just said. Oh, well. Right. If I remember correctly... Um... You know, the, this woman who is, is tending to Picard and she's ends up being one of the ambassadors or something. This has kind of right. been a whole, like, you know, uh, basically a test of the Federation uh, to see how he would react to this type of situation. Oh, OK. If I'm not mistaken, that's that's what this cool. one is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually a really good one. It, it's it's a really good episode, I thought. Cool. Because she's you know she's she's helping him, but then she, there's something else going on. And uh, it, it's it's a good show. Cool. Uh, all right. So next one, Interface. This is the one where we learn a little bit about Jordy's mom, where her ship disappeared way back when, and. Now Jordy is kind of finding clues that uh, might help him find out what happened to her. Right. So it's it's not a bad one. Does uh, uh, does he does he find her or find out what happened? Hmm. I, I don't remember this one. I, I, I gotta say, I remember Gambit, which is the next one we're gonna get into. I remember that sure. one, but yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I think that no, I think she's dead. Uh, but he finds out what happened to her. Uh, His right. curiosity is satiated. I think so, because she died in like a nebula or something. Oh. Because that would be the payoff of the episode, if he actually found out about his mom. Oh, well. Right, yeah, I think he does. Cool. But it's not like he finds out she's alive. It's not that happy ending. It's not a happy ending in yeah. that regards. Right. All right, so the next two, Gambit Part 1 and Gambit Part 2. You said you remember that one, so I'll let you give your incredibly brief synopsis oh yeah so in a nutshell picard becomes uh indiana jones and ends up getting on a ship with a bunch of pirate kind of alien guys uh-huh and it's just a it's a two it's a two-parter where picard is basically undercover and then Riker ends up becoming undercover kind of sort of with him. And they work together to finally find what these pirates are after. Uh, right. These, uh, 
and it is i think this is the one where they finally end up uncovering some ancient vulcan technology or something that the the character the vulcan character that Picard thought was going to be his buddy, continue to be his buddy, turns out to be a wacko who's been looking for this because she wants Vulcan to take over the quadrant or something. Exactly. With this, with this uh, weapon. And she's played by? Uh, Terry Garr. Uh, Nancy Reagan. Yes, uh, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> I, I don't know who. Spot on, you got it. Who? <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's, no. it's, it should be somebody Robin that I should know, Curtis. I guess. Robin oh, Robin Curtis. Curtis! Robin Curtis plays that yes. that that person. Oh, there you go. She plays the Vulcan, who ends up being a Romulan posing as a Vulcan. Damn it! Yeah, isn't it funny how uh, certain actors keep popping up in, and sometimes it's even the same species, but totally different people. Yeah. And uh, you know, sometimes you notice, sometimes you don't. Yeah, that one I definitely noticed because I I always liked Robin Curtis. Yeah, cool, cool. All right, so the next one uh, and the last one we'll talk about today, Phantoms. This is the one where Data is getting subliminal messages in his dreams. Oh, remember this one? Mm, no, but I do know it involves uh, the installation of a new warp core that won't work as expected. Wow, you have a very good memory, Ken. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so this is the one where um, there's some aliens that are actually attached to people and um, draining their energy or whatever, but oh. they're at a they're slightly out of phase with our dimension, so nobody can actually see them. Oh, but Data can s- interpret it a little bit in his dreams, so he dreams that you know uh, uh, Crusher is you know drinking. Riker's brains out of a straw, and uh, there's that, that great scene where Troy is actually made out of cake, and everybody's taking little slices out of her. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I think when you know uh, Data asks Worf what it is, he says, or no, they say it's a cellular peptide cake, and then Worf says, with mint frosting. <laughs> <laughs> So I always like that episode <laughs> because of the uh, wharf line. <laughs> well, a few years back, my you know my wife's a big Star Trek Next Generation fan, so right. I uh, I had a cake made of uh, you know I, I I thought about doing a, a a cake that looked like Troy, but then I was like that's a huge cake. But so it's just a normal size cake, but shaped like the, like uh, Troy. No, like the like the Next Generation logo. Oh, okay. And then, but I did have it. It was chocolate cake with uh, mint flavored icing. Oh! And I told her that it was a cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. Oh, nice! I'm sure she got the reference. She actually did. Yeah. Cool. So. Well, you know, I, yeah, I could, I do the same joke with my wife, and uh, dead silence. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so a little little piece of trivia: this episode was directed by Patrick Stewart. Oh, cool. Not his first one. Oh, no. I didn't say it was first one. Right. I just said he directed this one. Yeah. So was was it the Robin Hood one that was his first one? I don't think he directed the Robin Hood one. I thought he did. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not probably. I'm not going to argue with you if you did. Well. Because I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he directed this one. Cool. It's a good one. Um, and interesting. Hmm. 
According to IMDb, Gene Roddenberry and Banyan Braga wrote this episode. Hmm, that's very odd. It must oh, be an oh. old one. Yeah, it must be. Or the original script was old. Yeah, that's Banyan brushed it up. Hmm, odd. Butter. Okay. Anyways, that's the last one. So, next episode, episode 100. The 100 us clicking over to three-digit episode? This is this is important. Yeah, 100 technically, maybe 102, but we're not counting the uh, April Fool joke ones. Oh, you mean we've already passed the 100th episode? Yeah, technically we have gone past 100. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now I feel less pressure for next uh, next episode. Yeah, you should do something have... special. Yeah, we could still celebrate it. It is we are clicking over to that third digit on the uh, on the episode uh, counter. Yeah, but you know, you want to do something special, something clever. Yeah, but we're not going to, are we? Not unless we come up with an idea between now and next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not feeling overly creative, but we'll see. All right, so since we're not very creative, uh, <laughs> we'll just stick to our schedule, and uh, that will be ongoing. Cool. Episode, or ongoing issues 10, 11, and 12. Yes, and I hear some purring going on. Oh, some... yeah, maybe some tribbles? Perhaps. I keep waiting for you to play your tribble. I thought that's what, I thought that's what we were stalling for. No, 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 no. <laughs> so perhaps we'll have tribbles with lasers? Maybe. We'll Do they see. have lasers? On their heads. You have to find their heads, though. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. I'm looking forward to reading those. I have them. I've been waiting. Yes. Okay. All right, then. Sounds good. All right. So uh, until then, I guess we'll uh, talk to you guys later. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us on the review, and we will see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic.com. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.